This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are on another session of the Case Closed Podcast, and we have Chris Sakar out of the great state of Arizona. Chris, tell the audience all about yourself. Um, I am a trial attorney in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been a trial attorney in Phoenix, Arizona for about 31 years. Uh, Originally hailing from the great state of Iowa, moved to Arizona to go to school, Um, ended up graduating from Arizona State University, then ended up graduating from University of Arizona College of Law. I was somewhat at a crossroads right after my graduation. I had to decide between two different areas of the law. My choice was personal injury. I thought it was the area of the law that best suited my personality. Um, So I got involved in that area of law in November of 1992, opened my own law firm January 1, 1996. Got married five days later, started having kids a year and a half after that, and the law firm has grown from me to roughly 10 attorneys and 40 support staff. Still married, three kids are grown and gone, and they're fantastic, and um, now ultimately we're having a discussion about what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. Well, I'm doing that myself. Mine are, I'm a little older than you and mine may be a little older than yours. But so, Chris, you have the, uh, uh, I guess, the status of of all the attorneys I've interviewed, and there have been a lot of them. You have the highest verdict that anyone's ever had. So tell us about your $47 million verdict. It really was a great case. And to be fair, that case piggybacked on a previous verdict we had had. We represented a family that was involved in an accident in 2007 in Phoenix, Arizona. They had dropped their daughter off at University of Arizona for her first year at U of A. They were headed back to Southern California. Coming back on the I-10, the I-10 at that point in time and still is completely unprotected by median barriers, sadly and without excuse, in my opinion, a vehicle going the other way, lost control across the median, hit our clients, and in the blink of an eye, pulled um, the driver and his six-year-old daughter out of the car, and they were killed instantly. We took that case to verdict against the state of Arizona in February of 2012, got a $7.8 million verdict. That verdict was affirmed by the Arizona Supreme Court in 2015, May of 2015. Seven months later, we tried the next case. And the next case was 
very similar, literally happened within a tenth of a mile of the first one I mentioned. Um, two ladies were traveling to Phoenix early one morning. A witness indicated that a, a huge snake in the road caused the lady who was driving to veer, lost control, shot across again. The unprotected median hit a truck going the opposite direction, and the damages obviously were just awful when you hit big trucks like that going 75 miles an hour. There typically aren't survivors. So, again, we filed a lawsuit against the state of Arizona for failing to have median barriers at that location. That case went to trial in December of 2015, and the jury clearly was was upset came back and awarded our clients a, a sum total of a little over 47 million dollars what is the greatest frustration you have in practicing law probably you know i've got a having done what i've done for 31 years i have a really high sense of what's right and wrong i think my biggest frustration is dealing with insurance companies when often they just don't seem to care. And it's not uncommon for me to go home at the end of a day, talk to my wife and have her say, how was your day? And meet those particular types of frustrations. And she, she's patient, she listens, and then she, you know, she kind of puts me back in my place. And she says, you know, you have a job for a reason, right? Yeah. If insurance companies treated everybody the way you think they should, you realize people wouldn't need you, right? <laughs> okay, you know, it doesn't take too long for her to bring me back to reality, but having a, a really strong sense of what's right and what's wrong and what insurance is supposed to be there for and how common it is for them to decide that they they don't want to just step up and take care of these people who have been injured, some of them very seriously in auto accidents, making us work harder than we really should have to, given the, the whole purpose of insurance. I would say that's still 31 years later, still my frustration. What's the best advice you've ever been given and by him? Well, you know, what? the story I just told doesn't fall very short of that, but Probably the best advice I've ever been given with respect to my practice is never underestimate anything or anyone. Those of us who have taken a lot of cases to juries know you win cases that you're not supposed to. You, you lose cases you're not supposed to. We really can't control what those eight people think. Eight people who have received that piece of paper in the mail um, who now have to take time out of their out of their days and out of their weeks and away from their families and away from their jobs to go down and listen to something that they, number one, have no personal attachment to. They don't want to be there anyway. You win cases that you shouldn't. And, and a lot of times you win cases you shouldn't because of really two things, work and preparation. There's no substitute for those. And I've won plenty of cases where I know I was far more prepared than the defense attorney, and the defense attorney just wasn't prepared enough. You have to know your facts, you have to know your client, and in my opinion, you have to care. Because if you don't care, the jury's gonna see that. They're gonna know that, they're just gonna know that. 
And so we over-prepare for every case because we need to be in the position to present the best case for our clients that we can. What's the, is that the advice you give your um, associates? The first advice I give my associates is there are three things you really need to do to be successful in this business. And those three things are work, work, and work. There's no substitute for work. There's no substitute for putting in the time. There's no substitute for preparation. You don't have to be the fastest person to win the race. You don't. Not even close. You just have to be the person who's best paired to run the race. That's the advice that I give the associates who work for me. There is no substitute for persistence. Probably my favorite word in the English language, persistence. I mean, it just, it, it says a lot. It means a lot. It encompasses everything I've mentioned here so far. Um, preparation, preparation, preparation. I think that's the, the best script for being a successful trial attorney. Have you ever represented anyone who is famous? No, not nationally famous. I, uh, I had a great case a few years ago where I represented a, a local comedian. He's a professional comedian. He's a very, very funny guy. He was um, putting on a show at a Marriott resort for a group of Hewlett Packard executives. It was their last night. He showed up that night and met with the food and beverage manager and the food and beverage manager told him, I hope, hope you're ready for this group tonight. They're, it's their last night. They're really firing it up. They're doing shots of tequila and they're throwing the shot glasses against the wall and breaking them. And he's, Oh, great. Anything else you want me to know? He said, no, um, they seem nice, but I'm charging them five bucks a glass. So we'll see where it goes. So when he showed up, the, the people who were there said, Oh, we, we want you to make fun of this guy. He likes this. We want you to make fun of this lady. She she does this. And so started to give him some material, which he wasn't prepared for. Well, he's up on stage and the bright lights are on him and he couldn't really see what was out in front of him. And um, he started to make a couple. He was a very clean comedian, not a swearer, not a um, nothing raunchy, anything. He really was very clean, but he was very funny and started to just make a couple of, I think it was, country music jokes about one of their execs who like country music and without him even seeing it coming he got uh, he got hit in the knee with a with an empty rocks glass guy literally from the back of the room threw his glass at him and cut my client down at the knee injured his knee ended up having knee surgery and so we sued sued that individual we sued Hewlett Packard um, as the employer um, ended up settling that case but um, had a great time along the way. Klein is still to this day one of my friends now, and uh, it was it was a very fun case. So I researched preparation about you. So I'm going to pose an idea and ask you if it has any merit in your state. I was in Phoenix once last summer in August, and um, I went to play golf at some golf course that's near a mountain. It's a resort. I don't know what it is. And my friend said, you drink a lot of water and you won't have any issue because you're just going to sweat it all out. Does anyone ever make claims for heat exhaustion where they don't give you a warning that you shouldn't go out in the heat? 
uh, at resorts or events or tennis clubs, golf clubs, anything outdoors? I can imagine that maybe somebody has made that claim at some point in time. I think it's a pretty, probably a pretty difficult claim for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, I've lived here for 38 years and I don't know that I've ever been to a course where they haven't, especially in the summertime, stressed water, water, water. Um, plus, you know, it's the tough circumstance is we're adults. We're supposed to know better. We're outside. Well, no, I, I see it's a tourist claim where you don't know better because when I went, they didn't tell me anything. They didn't even tell me to take one. I just figured, and I didn't realize how hot it was when we got in. We started at a seven o'clock, we got in at 6.30. We got in and it was 112 degrees outside, um, which of course, that's insanity. But I mean, I had probably two gallons of water, but I just thought for tourists, it might be a, a claim because at least the course I went to, they didn't tell me anything. Yeah, you know, I, I just think it'd be a real easy cross-examination if that case went to trial from the defense attorney. You know, how old are you? I'm... 46. Okay. And do you understand that drinking water and staying hydrated is generally important for your health? Yes. You understand it's even more important to drink water and stay hydrated when you're out in hot weather. Yes. And when you are exercising. Yes. And you knew this on the day that you were, this happened to you. Yes. And you knew this the day before this happened to you. Yes. And you knew this long before this happened to you. Yes. You didn't need anybody to tell you that you needed to drink water to stay hydrated, did you? No. And had you been to Phoenix before? No. And you knew Phoenix was hot. Yeah, I knew Phoenix was hot. And you knew then that if it's hot and you're out exercising, you need to maintain your level of hydration. Yes. And again, you knew this long before that day. You didn't need anybody to tell you that, did you? No, I think it'd be a real easy cross-examination. So the purpose of this was to show the audience how extemporaneously you uh, cross-examine someone and eviscerate them. So, folks, the key to a great attorney is what just occurred, is an attorney thinking on their feet, doing such a great job thinking on their feet that he turned the apple into the orange and made the defense attorney a very unhappy person. So... What is the most unique theory that you've developed that you took to court? Gosh, you got to be really careful with unique theories. Um, I think the deck is stacked against us as as plaintiffs' attorneys, um, given the insurance climate in this country. The case we talked about already, the, the median barrier case. So let me tell you a little bit more about that first median barrier case. This family lived in California. And um, after this happened, they hired a California law firm, a pretty, pretty reputable California law firm to represent them. And the California law firm decided it was too difficult of a case. Nobody had ever won a case like that against the state of Arizona. Lack of a median barrier on Interstate 10. They tried, but they'd never won a case like that. They referred it to again, a pretty reputable firm here in, in Phoenix. And um, ultimately, two really good attorneys who were evaluating the case over there decided they were not going to take that case. They just felt it was going to take too much time, too much money, and too uncertain of a result. Nobody ever won a case against the state of Arizona for an I-10 case like that. That firm and, and my firm had a common investigator. And we were in my office talking one day. He told me about the case. 
And I said, I was interested. He said, well, I think they're going to drop it. Let, let me find out. They, in fact, did decide not to pursue it. It was a good enough case and a big enough case, potentially. I flew to California to meet with the family, um, met with them, loved them, just good, good people, horrible circumstance. Got back to Arizona, filed the lawsuit. Now we have to look for the right experts. And I talked to one highway safety engineer who wasn't interested, didn't think he could help. Then talked to another one. And his initial evaluation was, I think this is a very, very tough case. And so we got together, we talked about the issues. And I said, I need you to really think outside the box on this case. I am going to pursue this case. I would like you to be my expert. We're looking at may not be evident. It may not be a, a, a black and white code violation staring you right in the face. I need you to think outside the box because this is a wonderful family. I'm pursuing this case and I need your help. And lo and behold, thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and came up with some theories which were completely legitimate highway engineering concepts that he just hadn't considered in advance. That was what we went on. That's what we tried the case on. Uh, it was a two-week trial. The jury was out for two hours. In a big case like that, if the jury's out a short period of time like that, you you suspect that the verdict is gonna is gonna go the other way. And I'll never forget it. We we show up in court thinking, wow, we made a valid attempt. But again, you, right? You never know what a jury is gonna do. And so the judge reads the verdict, hands it to the bailiff to read and record the verdict. And the bailiff says, we, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled matter upon our oaths, do find in favor of, and the only word we want to hear there is plaintiff. We don't want to hear any other word come next. And we, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn upon our oaths, find in favor of, that of hangs in the air for about three minutes. And the next word we heard was plaintiff. Our client who had lost her husband and her six-year-old daughter is sitting behind us and she just starts sobbing, I mean, out loud sobbing. And we're looking at each other going, okay, that's good, but there's, there's a couple more steps to go here before we know if we've actually won. They have to announce the damages. And Arizona is a comparative fault state, which means even though they can find for the plaintiff, they can find in any case like this, the, the other driver to be exit fault in the state of Arizona to have little or no fault. And so we're waiting for that final shoe to drop. And the final, when the final shoe came, they announced the state of Arizona was 100% at fault for the crash. And boy, at that point in time, our counsel table, our client, maybe even members of the jury, there, there weren't too many dry eyes. It was... It was a novel theory to bring against the state using an expert who had to come up with his own novel theories as to what the state should have done and why they should have done it. And it was just a, it was just a dynamite day for the people of the state of Arizona. And I will tell you, there have been a lot of other accidents have, have occurred in similar manners. A lot of those cases have now settled out of court. We've had some, we've kind of paved the way for others, but February 12, 2012 was a very, very good day for the, for the people of the state of Arizona.
Let me ask you, is there any chance you could do a mandamus action at this point with the verdict and force the state to fix it? We tried many routes to do that. They've told us that even though their budget at that point in time was like $300 million a year, you know, Interstate 10 is a federal highway. Uh, but the state of Arizona has primary maintenance responsibility for it. They are ultimately planning widening the highway at some point in time. And they said that they don't typically uh, perform that type of measure until they actually are out there doing other work. We also found out that they don't do that type of measure unless and until they get federal highway funds to assist to, to pay for that sort of thing. So we've continued the fight. And one of our clients in the uh, in the 2015 verdict, the $47 million verdict, to this day, he is just a thorn in their side, um, pushing and pushing and pushing to get that done. There's been some indication they're going to do it. I don't know if there's a timetable or not. So the next question I have for you, because it's such an interesting case, uh, because now there have been a series of cases over a period of 11 years, can you um, uh, file for punitive damages. You can't. Because, you no, can't. By statute, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. By statute in Arizona, the state cannot be held liable for punitive damages in any case. It's not permissible. Um, can you at this point claim criminal culpable negligence? Not against the state, not against not, the state entity, okay. no. Okay. I mean, there's, there are so many statutory immunities anyway. Uh, getting over the hurdle. I mean, if an accident occurs in a particular area and somebody is hurt or somebody is killed and we file a lawsuit against the state of Arizona and we find that the state of Arizona had actually contemplated putting in the protective measures necessary in that area but decided that they either didn't have the funds for it or they were going to allocate their monies for some project they felt a little bit more worthy, um, there are immunities which would insulate the state from any liability whatsoever by statute. Please tell the audience why they should hire your firm. Uh, you know, the, a lot of the reasons I've, I've already discussed after 31 years, having the experience that, that I have and the experience that my firm has. We have uh, 10 attorneys here. Our experience is really second to none in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Arizona has a uh, designation um, that the state bar makes where they certify specialists in different areas of law. And personal injury and wrongful death is one of those areas. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty hefty distinction to achieve because you have to be a trial attorney. You have to have um, achieved the results in your case, cases that the state wants to see. You have to have the respect of your colleagues, you have to have the respect of defense attorneys, you have to have the respect of judges. Literally, in the application process, they contact all of those categories and say, hey, what do you think about this guy? Um, you have to have the trial results, you've got to sit down for a four-hour exam and pass that. Assuming you get by all of those hurdles, then your file goes up to literally the, the who's who of, of trial attorneys in Arizona, and they decide whether you're worthy of being a member of their club. And in Arizona, there are approximately 18,500 attorneys in the state. 
Of the 18,500 attorneys, there are approximately 125 that are certified specialists in personal injury and wrongful death. So it's a very, very limited class. Uh, Zecca Law Firm, we have 10 attorneys here. Four of us are certified specialists in injury and wrongful death. We're just, we're very, very good at what we do. Um, we care about what we do. Um, we evaluate each and every case on its own merits. If we believe we can make a difference, then taking the case is the decision we'll make. Um, that's just the way we do business here. Well, folks, uh, if you have a claim, a person on your claim anywhere in the state, call Chris because I've interviewed a lot of people and Chris is in the top of the top that I've interviewed. And when someone says persistence 10 times in an interview, that's the guy you need to hire. Thank you for your time. And thank you for you being on the Case Coast podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 